hey, do us a favor. If you like listening to the show, please just take a few minutes, not even a few minutes, one minute to go into Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. talking in the green room chatter the pre-show for the patrons about sparking little things you know like little things sparking and spinning off into topics no joke i went until yesterday having no idea what this week's topic was going to be and this episode put it together itself together in like a day i just kept stumbling on things that just kept feeding into the same topic there you go and for everybody listening, they probably already know because they clicked on the episode. But this is going to be about disagreement, about disagreeing. Um, before we continue, though, this is, will this be our last, what is the date? Sorry, looking at the date in the middle of the episode is tacky. Uh, this episode, I think, should come out before the end of this month. So our last chance to plug St. Jude. Mm. our featured charity for this month. You guys have been hearing me mention it in every episode so far. But take take time. We're not involved in this anyway. We just like to feature charities. Take some time, a little bit of money to support St. Jude. I've, I've read something the other day that what they do costs over a billion dollars a year. Oh, yeah. So they, they could definitely use your money. All right. So Disagreement. What I was thinking, the disagreement I was thinking about, people have been, it seems like people are more afraid to disagree or yes. uh, less capable in some, in some degree. So I wondered, how, how do you learn to disagree? You know, like disagreeing is a skill to be able to disagree well, to be able to disagree in a way that you don't hate the person that you're talking to. So I did a little bit of research on this. I shouldn't say a little bit. I did a lot of research on this. So the first thing I found, I don't know who this person was. I don't even remember how this got in front of me. It was something from 2008, which when it comes to the internet is like finding a pyramid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In the middle of a city. (laughs) It's a piece called How to Disagree by a man named Paul Graham. And... The bulk of this article is what I'm going to talk about right now, which is what he refers to as a disagreement hierarchy. And this is really cool because I thought this was a good place to start because he talks about the ways, the levels that people um, disagree from the lowest to the highest. Mm -hmm. And lowest being um, the least tasteful and the weakest argument to the highest. And he defines each level. And I thought it was really interesting because... As you, as I don't know about as you go through it, but as I go through it, as the audience goes through it, you'll probably find that you've rarely ever made it to the top level. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I definitely find myself in lower levels, and as as this show deals with sticky topics, you know, like uh, or strange topics, I thought it was really good to maybe get some of this down (laughs) to understand some of this. It's really important to be able to 
use these skills in dissecting strange ideas. Because, you know, like everything that comes up, I, I plan on bringing stuff in this show eventually um, that I don't agree with at all. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the synchronistic events thing, I'm questionable. I don't know whether that's real or not. Some of it sounds really weird. Some of it's really interesting. Some of it's weird and interesting. Yeah. But I plan on bringing stuff, you know, like I might even someday do an episode on Flat Earth <laughs> um, and just be like, what do they think? Let's really look at what they think. Um, so being able to do this and be able to know these things and all the other skills that I want to bring into this episode feels like a good time to do that so that we can at least have have some skills going forward. And if I say skills one more time, I'm going to slap myself. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait so, to see that transcripted. <laughs> Transcribed. DH0 transcript and transcribed are both correct. Yeah. They might both be correct. We did that once before too. Two words both yep. mean something. Hmm. Had to get both out there though. Yeah. Which one's the right one? It's a gamble. So DH0, this is the lowest level of disagreement. I think that we're all familiar with this one. Name calling. <laughs> this is when somebody tell, you know, gives an argument and instead of do anything else, you call them a name. Mm-hmm. It is the lowest form of disagreement, and it's also probably the most common and possibly the most persuasive. <laughs> That's the longest running one you've been doing it since the beginning, because when you have a underdeveloped brain, all you know is just, ah, stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I can't formulate thoughts, but I still need to attack. This is a quote from his article, but an example of this would be on the internet, maybe in a YouTube comment or Twitter. You are a fag. Yeah. Or you are a douche or you are a worthless bitch. Yeah. This is all normal stuff for us now, unfortunately. Yeah. But it also extends to the more intellectual We'll we'll call it the more vocabulary-rich version of it, which is uh, if you're reading something, somebody might say, oh, the author is a self-important dilettante. (laughs) That's really not any different from calling them a douchebag. You're just using nicer words. It's still called name-calling, and you're still not disagreeing on a strong level. Well, because it's the goal behind it. Like, what is the meaning of you, like the purpose of you using, uh, you know, calling them a name or whatever is to chop them down or to, you know... Discredit. Yeah. Demean whatever it is. Um, it's really popular with our current president. Really? <laughs> We're all really familiar with that. But it's not new. Oh, no. I mean, it's been... You know, you, you go even back into... um, You know, Abraham Lincoln days. You know, like old politics. Like, that was huge. Like sometimes it was even worse than what um, Trump does. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go back to you look at the Egyptian pyramids, yeah, you'll see it in there. You'd be like, oh, that fucking douchebag over there. Or maybe they call them sand pit. Yeah. <laughs> All cultures have this in some degree, right? There is some sort of insult. But that's why it's the lowest. It it solves nothing and it moves nothing forward. Yeah. All you're doing is is brandishing a weapon to scare someone off. So... The next one is what's referred to as ad hominem, DH1, an ad hominem attack. So an ad hominem attack is similar to name calling, except it can be a little bit more relevant in the sense that um, if you're talking about tor- corporate tax breaks and some 
man says, I support corporate tax breaks. This is, it's just a logical decision. And the other person says, of course he supports corporate tax break. He's rich and white. You're not really calling him a name, but you are attacking who he is and dismissing his argument based on who he is, not upon what he believes or the strength of his argument. Yeah. And that again goes back to why, what's behind it, because there's the connotation of, you know, rich and white and white privilege and this, that, and the other, you know, like there's, there's uh subtext behind all of, you know, what people are, when people are uh, insulting or um, name calling and all that, because we're, as a culture, there's a lot of things that kind of go without saying, you know, or always implied in certain situations. Like if the tone, you know, is in a, you know, a insulting argumentative, you know, disagreement world, then you know that there's going to be these things that are going to get thrown out that you're just going to understand, but don't have to be said. Right. Or dismissing someone's opinions on immigration because they're an immigrant. Yeah. Or what does he know about foreign policy? He's an actor. Hmm. And, And the problem with the real problem with this in particular is not only is it weak and still low, but it also insinuates that only certain kinds of people are entitled to opinions. So when you say that someone is not entitled to their opinion because of who they are, what you're saying is you're not the right kind of a person that is allowed to have an opinion. And I'm not sure the actual roots of ad hominem, but hom, I'm pretty sure, relates to man or human. So in some way, it is an attack on their being a human, I would assume. Maybe I should look that up. I don't know. But it's only that person's, um, their viewpoint on the world. You know, it's just, that's really just shining light on what they think of is um, acceptable and proper in the world and, and how people are supposed to act or what people are supposed to be. Right. Oh, ad hominem means to the person. So I was... I was right. You're taking the argument to the person. Yeah. So once again, you're not really disagreeing well here because you're not actually disagreeing with the argument. You're disagreeing with who the person is. Okay, next level, DH2, responding to the tone. Now, I I should clarify, I tried to fix a lot of this when I put my notes, but Paul Graham's article refers mostly to disagreeing with written things. Um, so re- responding to the tone be the tone that someone has written something. This is not a reference to vocal tone. This is higher in the sense that we've moved from the person to actually, for the first time in these levels, to actually addressing the argument. Hmm. But still the weakest of all that. Um, examples of this. I can't believe the author dismisses intelligent design in such a cavalier fashion. Or she's just bitching. So. We're not responding to them as a person. What a responding to tone is, we're responding to not what they're saying, but how they're saying it. And we do this a lot. You know, someone smiles a lot when they're saying something, but like, he's not taking this seriously. Yeah, disingenuous. Exactly. So that one's pretty, that one's pretty basic. And the tone thing is a little catchy because it's mostly focused on writing, but I think, is that clear? Does that come across clear? I think so. Okay. You're my you're my check because I think 
<laughs> I think I write these things in a way, these notes in a way that people understand them, but I need somebody to make sure I'm not with my head up my ass. Okay, D3. Contradiction. Hmm. Contradiction's an interesting one because it's a word we throw around a lot, but to fit it in this hierarchy gives it a kind of context that actually makes you focus on what the word really means. So now we've moved from who and how people say things to actually what they are saying. But the problem with contradiction is all you're doing in the strictest sense, at least in the sense that Paul Graham's using it, is you're stating opposition to somebody, but you're giving no supporting, no or little supporting evidence. So for example, screw corporate profits, climate change is real, and then stopping there. Yeah. Or I don't support gay marriage because homosexuality is wrong. Boom, stopping there. Yeah. So contradiction is just like I I'm just stating the point, but I'm actually not engaging in the sense to give you evidence or what I believe. Right. You're just making noise. Exactly. You're trying to yell louder than whoever it is so people don't because I see no matter what on all of these levels, it always comes from well it doesn't always, I'm sorry. Um a lot of times it comes from people when they don't, you know, because there's a right way to disagree and argue and all that stuff. Right. There's a wrong way. The wrong way usually has to do with when people do those things but that are kind of steeped, you know, up to their neck in contradictions. Um, it's really just their inability to maybe truly understand or not wanting to admit that there's any way things can exist outside of their viewpoint, you know, like there has to only be one, there can't be multiples. Um, and a lot of them, at least up until this point, the purpose of them is to, is like slamming a lid on something. Yeah. It's not, there's no purpose of engagement in any of these. That's why the, these things are weak. I mean, not only because it's kind of lame, even though we all do them, but it's because you're, you're actually trying to stop the conversation with these. Right. You're trying to end it, you know, like by giving no no evidence, no proofs. What you're doing is just saying this is what this is it done. Slam yeah. the slam the lid. So what's interesting, like you, like, you know, like you said, these there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. What's what's interesting about what he's doing here is it's kind of like a ladder. You know, each step we're moving up, and eventually we will get to level six, which is actually the quote unquote proper way to do an argument and. What needs stating before I go any further is when I say things like the proper way to do an argument mm -hmm. is if you have the intention of having a progressive conversation of moving forward right. and actually conversing and sharing opinions with people and learning something as right. well. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was, same thing I was going to say when I was saying the right and wrong way. It's like, okay, yeah, there's right and wrong, but under what um, definition? It's arguments and disagreements and all that stuff that can actually be a useful tool for positive outcome. You know, yeah, people tend to focus on whether you win or not. Right. Or thinking like, I can't disagree because disagreeing is bad and people's feelings will be hurt. And you know, it's like, no, you just got to learn to do it right. Right. Exactly. Or no, or both people know what it is they're trying to get out of a, you know, by disagreeing or in, in, uh, in going down the road of having an argument stemming from a disagreement, you know, if both of you know 
And it's established that both intentions are to, you know, come out of it, you know, better or smarter or having learned something new or seen something in a different um, light or through different color lenses or whatever it is. Um, then yes, then that's doing it right. If both of you are just completely polar opposite and it's like, you're never ever going to, then there's no really point to even go beyond that because all you're going to have then is just the quote unquote wrong type of disagreement argument where you're just going to be shouting and insulting and, um, tearing each other down. Right. And you're nothing, no, nothing is going to come out of it. You're both going to leave with the exact same viewpoint, exact same opinions, exact same position on whatever topic it is. And all you've done is just spent however much time that was just having an aggressive outlet to another human being that didn't really need to happen. Exactly. And what also one of the things that Graham says in here too, is when you think of these levels, you can think of them as a pyramid. Mm. And in the sense that the opposite of what I said, we're moving upwards if it's a ladder, but if it's a pyramid, we're moving downwards. Mm. And that, that growth for each level is the amount of effort required it's really easy to call someone a name. So it's that little peak at the top. But doing level six of this is the base. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot more effort and time. Okay, so we've got contradiction. So DH4, counter-argument. This is the first level which actually attempts to provide some actual proof. It is contradiction, the previous level, plus some reasoning and or evidence. The problem with this level is it's typically focused on the wrong thing. This is where people argue minor points instead of the main point. Um, you might you find that sometimes people actually agree with each other. If you were looking at what they're actually, you know, the actual topic of the conversation is, they might actually agree, mm-hmm. but they end up in an argument anyways. Is because they're stuck in this level. They're stuck. Um, well, you know that that is actually not true. This has been disproved, blah blah blah, and they're and and then that becomes the topic, and they're just talking about you know if you're talking about um, evolution from from Africa, yeah, and then you get stuck on Florent. What was it called? Uh, one of them is called Florences. Something I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of it. It's been a long time since I took that class. You get stuck on one, you know, like the. The, the Lucy case of the, the body that they found that they named Lucy. Yeah, the frozen ice lady. Yeah, and they get stuck arguing about her and that. And they never go back to the actual whole thing about evolution from Africa into other parts of the world and how it spread. So that's the danger of counter-argument. So some of these, these next three levels, you have to really focus on how they go wrong because they sound completely good. Like, oh, you're giving proof but you're giving proof about minor points instead of the major ones. Yeah. Um, I, I encounter people like that quite often because um, they tend to just be um, good, contrarian no, like no matter what it is. Um, and then you just end up having like a debate and I have to keep reminding, like you do realize that like we're both talking about the same thing, but you're just, feeling like you need to like disagree with me or try to explain my own, what the thought that I brought to you and the opinion that I brought to you in a different way. It's like, 
that's not really necessary. Like you agree with what I'm saying. You're just trying to say it in a different way to make it sound like I've been proven wrong and having to look at it in a new, like with, you know, a new angle. It's like, um, so yeah, I definitely didn't really ever put it in that way though, of like being just stuck. Like they're stuck in a, um, an endless loop of the same repetitive um, uh, thought process. Yeah, they get caught up in like the, well, I have to get this right in order for us to move. There's a great episode of Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson having a conversation for the first time. And this happens. They end up arguing about, I can't remember exactly what it was. They end up arguing about some logistical point about the meaning of some word and they can't move past it. Mm. Because Sam Harris is the one who's making an argument that mm-hmm. he's wanting to go back and forth with Jordan Peterson on, but he won't agree with him on the meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. So the whole episode, for the most part, ends up being them trying to yeah. clear up that so you never actually get to the actual argument. And it's, it, it's a really good episode to listen to, and not because you have to agree with either thing that either of them are saying, but to hear what it sounds like for a conversation to derail. It's actually really fucking frustrating to listen to. Okay. Um, DH5, refutation. So this is where you begin to actually quote things that the person has said. Now, once again, he's referring to writing, but we do this when we speak. Well, you said yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, happens a lot in uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, this is where you... Refutation is quoting a person and then explaining what's wrong with the thing that they said. Mm-hmm. The, the Very important that both steps be involved because you can easily quote somebody and then just call them a douchebag okay. and you're still just name calling. You're still at DH0. Right. Just because you quoted them doesn't mean you actually moved up to DH5. Yeah. One way that a lot of people do this is correcting someone's grammar, <laughs> correcting their spelling, um, telling them that they're saying somebody's name wrong or that the the number that they used is wrong. And the reason that these are, are important is because, you know, they're quoting, well, well you said um, Jim and his name's John. What what they're attempting to do is discredit you. Right. Instead of focusing on the argument, they, they might not be aware that that's what they're doing. Some people are just anal and nitpicky, but that is what they're doing in the argument. They're derailing the argument now and trying to discredit everything because, you know, maybe people do this with blogs all the time. I, when I used to do blogs on a regular basis, if I had like a couple spelling errors, that's what well, the comment would be. The comment yeah. would be about my spelling error. Yeah. Like, Nine, 900 words my, and they focus on one. Yeah. What about my argument? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why this is not the top level. <laughs> it's very common. And it's very annoying if you're on the other end of it. Of course, because they're not, you know, again, I, um, you know, I make a um, kind of a conscious effort when I'm talking to people to try to think of um, kind of uh, more of what it is that there's a opportunity for everybody to say something wrong because like maybe their thoughts, um, they're so focused on trying to understand what it is they're trying to say or get their point across that 
there's going to be collateral damage where, you know, a word is said wrong or a date is said wrong or something, you know, is overlooked or just, but it's minuscule, you know, it still doesn't take away from the fact that what it is that they're actually saying, like what's behind it, what is their point, you know, what is their belief? Um, so yeah, it's hundred uh, percent frustrating when you have somebody that's just not even, it's like, you're not even really listening to what I'm saying. You're just, right. you know, yeah, you've heard the words that I said, but you're not listening and trying to understand what it is that I am actually saying. You know, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got it wrong. The cut was over his left eye, not his right eye. But that doesn't take away from the fact that the cut was over his eye. And, you know, like, take the 99% of what is correct and forget about that one tiny percent of that wasn't right. But because the human brain's not perfect, so we're going to mess up, you know, a little bit here and there. That's particularly important when it comes to what we're doing right now. Yeah. I haven't dedicated my life to every topic that I'm going to bring up in these episodes. Yeah. I'm doing at best seven days of research. Sometimes, you know, some of them stew a little bit longer because I'm reading a book and it takes me a long time to read the book. But even still, reading one book doesn't make me an expert. So I'm, you know, like for example, in the last episode with Lamb, I said time space instead of space time. Mm. Why did I say time space? Because that's what Kirby said in his book. Mm. And I was, I was, he was the person that taught me the topic that I was talking about. So I'm going to use the words he taught me. Yeah. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't Um. change the conversation. But when we come into these episodes, and this goes for all podcasters, not experts. You know, people rip into shows like Last Podcast from the Left all the time mm-hmm. because they get facts wrong. Dude, they're they're doing research for an episode. And they're trying to cram it into like an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours. So what is the thing that they're actually saying? And that's that's why I thought going forward with this show, once I saw these levels, I'm like, oh, yeah, we need to, we need to go over this stuff. Mm-hmm. Not only for you, for me, for Lamb, but for the audience as well. Like, hey, let's, you know, because I, my hope, my desire for this, you know, like the bottom of everything on all the podcasts, it says intended to make you think. Yeah. That's what I want. You know, like, I'm, that's why I want to focus on bringing in uh, topics that are questionable and sticky and complex because I just want people to think. I'm not trying to educate anyone. Well, I'm just trying to instigate thought. Well, yeah, because, you know, we, like I said earlier, you know, we're, kind of become a society of non-thinkers and just like it'll be thought for me and given to me in a way that I, you know, requires less effort on my end and it'll be factual and it'll be everything that I need it to be. Well, now you've just given all your trust to be um, whoever it is that's feeding you that stuff. It can be whatever it is they want it to be, but because you're blindly just not thinking, it's, you know, it's dangerous. Well, and my biggest hope is that these episodes spark conversation. That not, not only um, that it sparks conversation with people, with other people in their lives mm-hmm. about the topics, but, you know, at us too. And I don't want to read comments where you correct my spelling. Well, you wouldn't correct my spelling because I'm not spelling audio. <laughs> where you correct um, a name that I said wrong or a word that I said wrong and yeah. ignore the rest of the episode. Right. It's not, it, it takes none of us any further. We're not doing ourselves a favor. You're not doing it yourself. You're not doing anyone a favor. So let's get to how to do it right. And 
this for me, I feel like I need to post this on an index card and stick it right on the wall so I can keep looking at it because this is hard to do. This is really hard to do. It's DH6 refuting the central point. So this is very basic, but very difficult. Her main point seems to be X. So you're stating the main point, focused on the main point of the argument. As she says, X. Now you're quoting her. So her point is that um, short people don't run as fast as tall people because of leg differences. Mm -hmm. She says that is because, and then you quote how she says that. Mm -hmm. I believe this is wrong for the following reasons. Now, that's drastically different than just calling her a bitch, isn't it? (laughs) Which is DH0. Yeah. Or calling him a moron. Because you, as the, you know, as the other person, you can't argue what it is that you said because you said it. Um, But then it's taking, I feel like it's rooting itself all in just facts. You know, like this is... It's focused on the argument itself, Right. right? Right. And you can't go back and say like, well, that's not right. Well, how is that not right? That's what we've been talking about this whole time. Uh, well, no, you know, it's like, well, there's, it it's takes un- a personal. It's, yeah. It can't be argued because it's the unarguable. Right. And if I say, um, it doesn't mean this is going to stop arguments from being heated. I mean, watch, um, watch a congressional argument sometime. Mm. Not all of them use this, by the way, most of them don't. But even when this is done, people still get heated because they disagree about the reasons, right? And, you know, I, I like uh, climate change. Whether it's real or not, maybe they both believe it's real. But the evidence, you know, they argue about that. And it goes back and forth. It doesn't stop arguments. Because remember, this is not how to avoid... I'm talking to the audience right now, not you, Tom. Mm. <laughs> this is not how to avoid disagreement. This is how to d- disagree in a way... That you make progress. Yeah. That you get somewhere. Maybe, all these other ones, you get nowhere. Right. Maybe you'll come out of it happy. Or you come out of it frustrated, but at least Smarter. you won't be personally attacked. Yeah. Your brain will be opened up a little bit more. And then that can, not right away, but maybe later on down the road, it like kind of it uh, ferments and it and it grows and it hatches and it turns into like an awareness and a, again, a way of seeing things from different perspectives, you know, like the more perspectives you have and the more you're able to like take yourself out of a situation where it's you and another person or you and two other people, you're able to step outside of that and look at it subjectively and consider it in ways as if you weren't involved in it at all. And you were just proposed, you know, like here's a scenario, person A, B, and C, Person A did this, and C did that, and D did that, and B did that, and blah, 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 blah. And you just keep going through it. And you can look at it and just subjectively be like, well, I don't, uh, yeah, this, you know, I don't agree with because of that. And this person contradicts that person. And you just have this, you know, you're, uh, you're removed to where you can make a clear and concise opinion on it. And then, um, get back into it and see how that actually falls in suit with how you were feeling. And maybe it'll 
prove to you that, hey, you know what? I was wrong. And you were able to avoid the argument or the disagreement because you took all these steps and you kind of flash flooded it through your thoughts um, prior and came to the conclusion that you were right to be disagreed with. Um, and it just saves us all the time and the energy of having to uh, you know, stress and strain and argue. What I'm reminded of again is the conversation I had with Mark Ruiz last month where he was talking about getting criticism on his writing from the other people on Twitter, the other writers on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And he got brutal comments from someone. That in a way you can look at that as disagreement. They disagree with how he wrote it. Mm -hmm. But because it was focused on the writing and it was done by someone who genuinely wanted him to write better it still hurt but he was able to take those and actually work with it and then i'm assuming he's going to end up with a better script but it's because they were operating on this sixth level she didn't call him a shitty writer you know she didn't probably correct every spelling error that he had in there but she might have but when you're doing writing and editing that's kind of expected yeah so so i don't think that's a weak form of disagreement the, the next thing that I looked at for this is a place I think that we can actually learn from is debate students, speech and debate students have to disagree and they have to disagree well, especially if they want to win, right? Of course. I'm, I didn't do this in school, but as an adult, now I kind of wish I did because I think I would have been really good at it. Because oh, I think it helps just exist in the world that we live in now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a spin, the, what I used for research on this section was there's a spectacular TED talk. Um, it's called How to Disagree Productively and Find Common Ground by a lady named Julia Dar. Uh, I believe I'm saying her name right. D H A R. And what she said is she looked at, she did speech and debate in high school. So she was looking at speech and debate. And she said what she found about the most effective debaters was. That not that they what one assumes would be the win the ones who win the most were the most extreme, you know they were the strongest, and that actually wasn't true. She said that the ones who actually won the most were the ones who were better at finding common ground with their opponent, mm-hmm. and she says this is referred to as shared reality. And my favorite quote actually is shared reality is antidote to alternative facts, and I find that really interesting. Well, that makes yeah. Go Go ahead. No, no. As you said, that makes sense because um, proving to another person, because generally it's conceived um, a a disagreement or an argument is conceived under the belief that you know someone is existing completely different in a different realm, a different world than than the other person. Right. When you're able to prove to them, like, no, no, you like think about it, like. We're both standing on the same little small piece of melting ice. You know, it's getting, we're, we're sharing this thing. Like, we're almost in the same shoes. And then that's when, why that, oh, I'm sorry. No, so that just, it helps get you to a point where it's like, if you're able to have that sink in in their mind and you both know, okay, we could almost be the same person, but I stepped left and you stepped right. And, you know, see it from my viewpoint, you know, if had you not picked up that, that 
that coin on the ground and the beam swung and hit you in the head. You know, it's like all those different possible ways that the world can go. Um, you, you bring them to understand that, hey, you know, same ground, but it's possible to see the moon. If I look this way from this ground, it's also possible to see the sky that the moon's not in from the same standing point. If I just turn my head and look a different way, you know, there's, there's more than just one way to look at things. And so I feel like if we get people to understand that, then it makes the whole disagreement, the whole argument, the whole conversation far more productive. Well, that's exactly what name calling and ad hominem attacks are trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. When you're calling someone a name or you're attacking them for who they are and discrediting their opinion, you're treating them as other. Mm -hmm. And as long as you treat them as other, then you don't invite them into your shared reality. Right. And what I love about that is that, you know, the shared reality is an antidote to alternative facts. Alternative facts is something that we're worried about a lot in at least in the political sphere right now. Everybody's worried about alternative facts. You know, well, they have their facts and, you know, this side has that fact. They can't agree because they can't even agree on the facts. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, I don't remember which episode it is. I think it is the Barack Obama episode of um and my next guest needs no introduction the david letterman's new netflix show yeah yeah. which i I think the obama one's the first episode and i'm pretty sure it's that episode if not it's the george Clooney episode which is the second one they reference a senator or a congressman who said something along the lines of i'm not going to quote it exactly because i don't have it memorized but he was in an argument with someone in Congress and he said, you are entitled to your own opinions. You're not entitled to your own facts. Yeah. And that, that's become a problem where people can't seem to agree because they can't share facts. Well, it's a really good thing to think about then. Well, maybe the problem isn't that they have different facts. It's that they have no shared reality. Mm-hmm. And if they could focus on finding common ground, then they wouldn't have to worry about that other shit. Well, it's all, I mean... A majority of kind of how, if we're talking, you know, like political realm, or I mean, just even just the world realm, it's all about division. It's all about, you know, creating, you know, huge, you know, borders that just get wider and wider and wider. And it's a separation, you know, it's it's no longer about trying to come together. It's all about teams and all that shit. We are who we are, and you guys aren't who we are. So, you are over there and you're wrong and we're over here where we are and we're right. Um, yeah, and it's not even just politics, race, right. sex, exactly. orientation, religion. Yeah. Uh, okay, so another a little bit more from her, um, Julia Dar. She says that the researchers in, in um, UC Berkeley found that listening to someone's voice as they make a controversial controversial argument actually humanizes them more. Wow, imagine that. <laughs> Actually listening to someone makes you think of them as a human being. Hmm. Well, how weird. Well, I think people get scared of that when they hear, you know, a human being being capable of something that they find to be um, just so out there and controversial and taboo. You know, they don't want to allow the thought exist that... Um, human beings because we're all human beings like that are like well if 
this person has that kind of thought and that kind of feeling and that kind of identity, then that means there's a potential for me to have that. And I can't allow that to even be mm-hmm. considered, you know, and I've had that argument a lot with people when it comes to like, a, um, like the gun control debate and, you know, mass shootings and people doing things that are just terrible and awful. It's like, they don't want to, it's always an argument or a standpoint that you're blaming one thing, you're blaming something, the easy thing, you're finding the easy thing to blame, you know, the inanimate object, um, get rid of those God awful guns. And, um, we'll go back to this utopian Nirvana that we've lived in forever. It's like, no, we've never had a perfect society prior to guns being, you know, invented, horrible things were done. And the point of that is, is because human beings are just inherently awful creatures. They can be, they can be, they, well, they, they're animals. They, yeah, human, sometimes we, they act like animals, and we we're not all like that. It's not a. It's not. Well, we the, are all. We just don't all do it, right? And like, I've made that kind of. I've had that discussion with people, and they just don't. They won't even allow it to enter their brain. They're like, nope, nope, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope. Well, you know what? That argument's favorite. They love name calling because you know what their favorite name is. Monster. Yeah. And it, it's it's a. This has been something you know. Me going back into true crime recently for the blotter reminded me of this idea that I had found from my reading before in the past is that people like to look at, um, you know, like Jeffrey Dahmer mm-hmm. or Ted Bundy mm-hmm. and call them monsters. And the reason they like to call them monsters is because then they don't have to think of them as human beings, right? which means they don't have to think about what they share in common with them. Yeah. But the dangerous part about that is if you think of them as other, then you can never learn from them, which means you can never prevent that from happening. Yeah. What is the defective thing in this? And it goes the same with your gun argument there or any other argument. As long as the person is not, as long as the person is other, then the problem can't be solved. That's where you're operating from. You're operating from the assumption when someone's another, then the problem can't be solved. So therefore, all of your, everything you do to win your argument is justified because you know for a fact that this is not going to resolve for them because they're other. So you've already made a decision. And I I didn't realize that when I was putting this together. All of the levels until level six is you've made a decision about the argument. Oh, yeah. Level six is actually trying to find out the resolution. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's that choice thing that we talked about some time back, you know. So you're making a conscious choice instead of just allowing um, you know, something to organically go the direction it needs to go due to the you know the facts and figures. Right. And what, one of the most important things that she says in this is that we have to, and we mentioned it a little bit before, we have to learn to separate people from their ideas. And the reason that students, or uh, speech and debate students are a perfect example of this is because the speech and debate students don't get to pick their arguments. Mm -hmm. The speech and debate moderators and the teachers find controversial arguments that have two sides and they assign them to people. So someone who grew up around guns might have to argue the other side. Mm -hmm. Someone who grew up very strong 
religion, uh, Christian that um, particular branch of Christianity that doesn't agree with homosexuality mm-hmm. might have to um, argue the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when these students are debating with each other, it can't get personal because the other person might not believe what they're actually saying. They're just doing their job. Right. And so if we can learn to do that in our lives, that would be really powerful. Because what that, be the, that, go ahead. I was saying, because what that does, that just opens up and kind of unlocks something inside the person's brain to where it's like, well, there was that one time that like, because you, if you have some type of intelligence and you're open to learning and thinking and debating, um, you're open to the possibility that um, you'll be exposed to new ways of thinking and new thoughts and new feelings. And so if you're trying to make the argument on something that you don't believe in to start with, you know, like if you're, um, if you were raised that, you know, homosexuality, homosexuality was wrong and you're arguing for it, then there's, I mean, some people would just come out of it still like, okay, well, I got it done, but I still, you know, I'm unchanged. But there's going to be people that like, there was stuff that actually made sense. And then it makes you start to think more. And then that's an open mind that's willing to continue to be opened. And the next time you get in a situation where you're thinking that you're you know, disagreeing with another thought or someone is disagreeing with your thought, then all of a sudden you might stop and take a second to be like, well, there was that one time that I was thinking of that debate thing that I was doing. And well, maybe that's going to be the same thing. And then it's you're going into it with potential of you know your 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 mind is open and you're like well there's a possibility that i could come up with this learning something new and having a different outlook and um that's when i think you know people start this you know running faster than they thought they could run by learning more and being um just being that more open you know being smarter when there's a humility to uncertainty, you have to be humble to admit that you're not 100% on something. Mm-hmm. The other side of that is when you get too attached to ideas. So the ideas become more important than people. And I think that, you know, like that happens a lot, especially if you turn on TV. You have people arguing ideas with no consideration of the other person. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I, I I don't know if I've succeeded, but continually trying to do when I have conversations on here is to not make it about whether the idea is, you know, right or wrong, but what it means and what it can mean. And, you know, what are the, what comes out of it? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can easily talk about something that both of us disagree with adamantly. And still have a good conversation, you know, like neither of us has to be arguing pro, you know, like we could talk about um, something awful. I don't, I don't want to think of an example right now because I'll mm. think of something stupid on the spot yeah. but uh, or something really offensive. Yeah. But we could be both against the thing we're talking about. But by talking about it as an idea, mm-hmm. like, okay, like what we've done here, we haven't said necessarily whether we... Well, I guess we kind of have agreed with a lot of this. But the the idea was to talk about what the structure of a good disagreement is. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't agree with that. 
but we we still had a conversation on it. You know, like I, obviously we do agree with this one, but it could be something else. It could be um, flat Earth. You know, like I don't believe in it. Pretty sure you don't believe in it. Nope. But we could still talk about it. Like, okay, they they believe this. This is their evidence for that. Blah blah. And if we could go into it with humility of uncertainty, the episode would be better. Mm-hmm. Not to say that we're proving their point or trying to prove their point or even trying to give it a platform, but rather to dissect it and to understand it. So like, okay, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Oh, that one point right there, I, that, that's a good point. And I don't know what to do with that. And I think that's when conversation gets interesting, but you can only get there through the top level of disagreement to that interesting point where you go, I don't know. There's a fantastic episode. I just heard it yesterday. It's an older episode of Sean Carroll's Mindscape with um, Seth MacFarlane, the Mm -hmm. guy who does Family Guy and Orville. It's a great conversation because most of it's about the Orville and I I love the Orville. I love that show. But one of the things that Seth MacFarlane says in there that it's just like one of those things where like I immediately wrote it down in my notebook. He said that it's it's not interesting when things are clean, you know, for the characters. When things are clean. When it's more interesting when you have a character who is nobly a good character, truly a good character, but they're put into a circumstance that they can't quite complete. You know what I'm what I'm saying there? You know, like if you stuck somebody in a circumstance where um, a war, right? Well, who's the right side of the war? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Because if you look at both sides of the war, you can find things, you know, like uh we'll take example we'll leave leave out something like uh, something emotionally loaded, like World War Two. But take Vietnam, the war in Vietnam. You look at the American side of things. Obviously, most of us grew up with the American side of things, and it seems reasonable. But if you were to look at the, what it was like for the people who became the Viet Cong, mm. that they lived in a country that had been continually colonized, yeah. and they didn't want to be colonized anymore, whoa, it's not as cut and dry anymore, is it? Right. So you can take someone who is morally, a character who is morally trying to do something good, and if you put them in circumstances that can't be wrapped up, that's when things get interesting. And I think that's true of conversations too. But if you can take two people who really want to stay on level six and really want to come to some sort of agreement or progress and then give them something that they can't, you know, then that conversation becomes very interesting. We start to learn a lot about what it is to be human yeah. through those kind of conversations. Well, the, you, the gun control argument's a great one. Yeah. That's a hard one. Yes. Because as much as we want it to be cut and dry and both sides think it is, it's not. No, 100% not. Okay. So, one more section and this is this is like the ray this is like the ray of hope the section that I found this one and I was like, "Oh, this is gold. So in his book, Intuition Pumps and Other Tools for Thinking, Daniel Dennant mentions game theorist 
Anatole Rapoport. And I tried to find the original place where Anatole Rapoport said this. It turns out I had to buy Daniel Dennett's book to find it because everybody on the internet kept quoting it from Daniel Dennett. Turns out that the reason for that is because Daniel Dennett wrote what I'm going to read, these four rules. Mm -hmm. But he wrote them because they're things that he learned from Rapoport through uh, letters. So, and conversations. <clears throat> so it's things he pieced together that hadn't actually been pieced together. Kind of like Occam's razor. Okay. Occam never wrote down Occam's razor. People pieced that together from reading his writing afterwards. Mm. So these are Anatole Rapoport's rules. I'm going to drink a little bit of water first. <laughs> Number one, you should attempt to re-express your target's opinion and your target's position so clearly, vividly, and fairly that your target says, thanks, I'd wish I thought of putting it that way. Mm -hmm. Number two, you should list any points of agreement, especially if they are not matters of general or widespread agreement. Number three, you should mention anything you've learned from your target. Number four, only then are you permitted to say so much as a word of rebuttal or criticism. I agree with that. Isn't that gold? Yeah. That is just gold. Because that helps propel, I mean, almost kind of get you in the feeling of you guys are on common ground to start with, you know? Yes. Because some with the other way, you're trying to end or towards the end, get people feeling like you're on the same wavelength and then finalize it from there, you know, like final knockout punch or whatever it is if you're trying to win. Um, but by starting at that point, I mean, I've used that in the past, you know, I mean, obviously not point to point to how um, how you just said it, but, you know, where you try to reassure or kind of, I mean, especially when things are starting at kind of like, you know, with kind of animosity and like high energy, it's like, and it's easier too, if you're doing it with somebody that you have any kind of connection with or, you know, any kind of care for, you can be like, hey, look, you know, remind them that you, kind of where you're coming from and how you feel towards them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, um, you know, bring up the points of that. You know, even if you use old points, like we've, you know, we agree on all these things in the past and, you know, we think the same way in all these different things, but just this one thing, you know, we're a little bit off on, but if you try to reassure and remind them like of the good connections between you and them and the similarities and that kind of, helps lull things back down to kind of like a lullaby um, tone. At least I found uh, that. The first, the first one there is something that I've mentioned before. Um, it's referred to as the charity principle, mm -hmm. which is that you, you should always restate someone's argument in the most charitable manner. Mm -hmm. manner. Um, the reason for that is because it's far too easy to slip into the lower levels of the disagreement hierarchy. If you, weaken their argument when you repeat it mm -hmm. because you're already trying to discredit them and you're only a few steps away from slipping into name calling. Yeah. So you're not going to, you're not going to get anywhere. So that's, that's, that is a key one there. Um, the other two are obvious, but also like, I wouldn't say that I would, if you had told me to just out of my head, write down a good way to disagree that those would have come up. Mm -hmm. 
obviously you want to list points where you agree. I've always I've always noticed that really good arguers will do that. Say, well, I agree with you on that point. And I hate when people won't concede. When you watch an argument or a debate and the other side will never concede something. Yeah. I don't trust that person, no matter what they're arguing. Because I think what the it shows that they're standing from a weak place. When someone makes a good argument, you should acknowledge that. Yeah, you 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 really you can't have anything to say if if it's you know the right point. You know, if someone makes the best kind of argument they can for you know one of the little sub points inside of a a debate, and there's really no response that you can come you know come back with, and that's when you kind of have to be like you know kind of applaud them and be like, wow, that's yeah, I got nothing to say to that. You got me, you know. And that doesn't mean that you're conceding entirely because it's just one small point. But you're also, you acknowledge them as a, as a, and as an opponent. Right. You know? Yeah. You're saying, oh, well, you, I'm, you're not stupid. Right. You came up with an argument there that's solid and I can't debate that. Mm-hmm. So let's focus on the ones I can. Like maybe yeah. that one will fix itself in the end. I don't know. Yeah. And you, you're, you, you're moving towards the center, you know, an, an agreeable center. And but that third one is just so powerful for me. You should mention anything that you've learned from your target. Now I'm thinking about that in practice. So you know, somebody says like, um, "I believe that children should not have to pay for school lunch." And so you go, you know, they give their whole argument, and then you got up and you said, "My opponent believes that uh, children shouldn't have to pay for their school lunch because." It's a strain on the families, especially those families in economically difficult positions. So now you're you're actually adding to their argument because you're giving them the most charitable interpretation mm-hmm. of what they've said. So you're doing number one. And I agree with them that there is a strain on the families. And I agree with them that there is there there's problems with uh, the economic divide between students. I don't think that's in debate. Now we're getting somewhere interesting, right? Mm -hmm. But what I hadn't considered was that food would be a manifestation of that. Yeah. And I I learned that from what he said. I had never considered that. Now, if you're on the other side of that and you hear this person say all of these things, you tell me that you're going to want to still name call them and argue with them? Yeah. If you do, you're you're angrier in another place. But I mean, if you're a charitable and a decent arguer, now all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, he's, you know, putting out the welcome mat. I should put out mine. Yeah. Well, it shows that you're you're after something more genuine than just like I won, I'm right, you're wrong. You know. Imagine if our political debates on television were like this. Well, they wouldn't be on television. Right, yeah, there'd be no radiance. But guess what? The world right. would be a better place. Exactly. <laughs> but that's not what people want. Right. Well, you can see that. It's very, very, very easy. You know, like just with the Democrats, they all were not going to pick on each other. Mm-hmm. And then slowly over time, they had to start picking on each other, didn't they? Because otherwise they slipped in the rankings. Ah, yeah. oh, it's sad. It is sad because that's just, like I said, that's the mentality and the kind of world we live in where it's... Um, Attention yeah, first, you right? Need, you need that endorphin rush of, you know, oh, look at them, look at them argue with each other. Oh, yeah, they're, oh, they're going to chop that person down. Yeah, make them cry. Yeah. 
And then you're like, oh, I hate her. But yeah. then, you know, like six months, you might have to vote for her. Right. <laughs> but you don't even know why you hate you. Just like, because. Because they're not the person that you like, right? Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. Why don't you like them? Why do you like you're the other person? teams and sides among your own team. But most people <laughs> don't even make those decisions off of actual, like, you know, Mm-mm. factual basis. That's just, the danger. It's purely emotional, right? Yeah. Or influenced or just like opinions from other people from an outside force. Mm-hmm. Sheep. So I'm going to recommend... Hmm, I'm chewing beef jerky on the episode. How how rude of me. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe chewing with their mouth fucking closed. We'll be fine. I'll cut that. <laughs> so what I want to do right now is I want to recommend two things. We're not going to talk about them. I just want... If people found this topic interesting, two places you could start after this. And obviously, all the sources given above will be places to start as well. But there's an excellent episode of the Ezra Klein Show with Arthur Brooks. And it's called How to Disagree Better. And this is interesting because these two people are friends. Ezra Klein is very um, liberal. And Arthur Brooks is conservative. Although I wouldn't say he's, quote unquote, very conservative. Hmm. So that's just to be fair. But they are on different sides of a political divide and they have a very nice conversation about disagreeing. And it's really enjoyable because they're friends. So it's a perfect example of how to do this. Another great example is Arthur Brooks has his own podcast and I think it's the second episode is called Share Your Stage. And his show is kind of um, almost uh, NPR style where it slips between um, narration and then clips of, of interviews with people. Mm. And this this episode is about, I don't know if you heard about this event, there was a, a Trump rally and a Black Lives Matter rally that happened in the same place. And uh, the the guy that organized the Trump rally invited one of the Black Lives Matter people to come up to their stage and talk. Mm. And whatever he went up there and said, I'm not going to ruin the episode for people. The people applauded him. Hmm. I feel like I did hear about this, but I didn't look it's, into it's it. A, it's a really good episode. So I would recommend both of those to everybody. Do you have anything else you want to say about disagreement? Uh, no, but if you don't like this episode, what we talked about, you suck. Yeah, suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's... I, I always, I mean, we all falter sometimes and there's plenty of moments where I'm in a disagreeing situation or scenario with someone and um, I fall prey to just the easy instinct of just like, you motherfucker, I just hope you die. Um, but then it's like, I always try to reel it back in and get to that point of like, why am I disagreeing? you know, what basis and what kind of um, ammunition do I have behind my, my reasoning and my facts? Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, in day-to-day life, you know, especially in like work environments and stuff with people that are either of different generational, um, um, you know, there's a generational gap because they think different way and see things differently or used to things like, well, this is how I did it in the eighties. It's like, well, it's not like that no more, you know? Um, but it's just trying to doing it the right way helps kind of create a, 
kind of a pleasant um, pleasant way of living with other human beings and it makes you a better human being I think because um, then it prepares you for future events where it's like yeah you may have fucked up in that scenario but the next time with this next person you'll do better and who knows what kind of benefits can come from come out of that interaction you have with that next person and you're smarter because and you're more prepared because you you learned and you um you did the work you did the the mental exercising and the emotional growth that needed to be done and uh going back to julia dar for a second um two questions that she mentions in her ted talk that i think are good for people to keep in mind um the first one is what would it take to change your mind about that I think that's a really good question to ask someone. I, th- I think that oftentimes we get attached to being right. Mm-hmm. And we forget about the thing that we're actually uh, fighting for. I'll use the, the terminology. For example, say you are an African-American and you're really concerned about poverty in... Um, no, not poverty. You're really concerned about economic disparity and um, particularly income inequality um, between blacks and whites. Mm. You're really concerned about that. And you're talking to someone and the person is trying to tell you, I have proof that affirmative action doesn't work. Now that person is probably going to get upset, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not saying... I'm not making an argument whether it's whether it works or not because I have no clue. I've done no research on this topic. It's just a random thing that's controversial that I could bring up for an example here. Now, they're going to be defensive of that. And what will end up happening in an argument like this is they will end up defending affirmative action and forget, you know, this is like the, the DH5 thing. They're on to a minor point and forgot the main point, which is working on resolving economic disparity. Mm. Because in reality, if they, were, if they didn't get lost in that track, they would realize, I don't care whether affirmative action works or not. I want something that does work so that I can achieve this goal, number right. one, right? Yeah. yeah. But that, that conversation is probably going to degrade because it's defending some, a minor point. Yeah. But if the person who had this evidence, and say this person really wanted the same thing, that they wanted to fix that economic disparity as well. But because they're attacking this tent pole that people, some people will hold up as a way to achieve that, mm-hmm. people might not be open to hear, say they have found evidence. Like I have, I have the numbers and it doesn't work or whatever, right? People might still not listen to them. I know they don't want to because they don't want to admit that something that's been held up so high almost as like a religious dogma. Well, they're attached to the idea instead of the the, yeah. the the thing that they're committed to, right? Right, right. And it's it's easy to do. We all do it. I'm not saying in this example. I don't know who I'm talking about here. I'm making people up. But if the person with the evidence actually asked the question, what would it take for me to change your mind? And the other person answered honestly, then they could actually get somewhere instead of arguing over that point. Right. If you could show me this number, this number, this number, and this number, and they said this, then I would believe you. Okay, well, I have those numbers. 
different conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great question. She she kind of only touches on it in there. But I think that you could go really, you could probably even do a whole episode on that question. Um, the other question that I think is is really good, um, something that Tim Ferriss has actually used a few times. I don't know if he got it from this or not. What's something that you've changed your mind about and why? Now, this isn't obviously to be used in the middle of an argument, but she does suggest, she's like, imagine if we were actually asking our political leaders that question. We would actually learn something about the way they think and who they are, as opposed to what we learn from these debates that don't really teach us shit. Yeah. So before we close out the episode, Tom, what's something you've changed your mind about recently and why? Hmm. That's a damn good question. I can cut out us pausing because I didn't think of mine either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's clever on your end to make me go first when I'm thinking about it. Um, probably the biggest thing is uh, looking like to kind of like an outside force for help to understand my own mind and emotions um, for a very long time, mostly my entire life. Um, I kind of always was just like, you know, I if anything I can handle and kind of work on and um, come to grips with, it will be my own thoughts and my own internal, you know, like who I am, me, myself, like how am I going to let some other person get inside and figure out things better than me? Cause it's mine. Like, you know, um, but I've kind of slowly start to, um, understand that, um, reaching out for help and getting kind of like how we've talked about different outlooks and different opinions and different ways of going about things is not really a, a sign of weakness or being broken, but it's a very useful, um, beneficial tool that can provide uh, kind of different types of growth that even you yourself possibly wouldn't have ever come across because you're just looking at one viewpoint, not another, you know, that kind of outside step outside yourself, look, look in from outside the window, you know? Um, so that's, I would say that being vulnerable. Mine's going to take you for a bit of a surprise. I think, um, thing that I've changed my mind about very recently is Google. (laughs) (laughs) Um, not in, in the sense that I've taken back everything that I've said, I still believe that surveillance capitalism is dangerous. Mm-hmm. But what I realized recently is, for example, if you were to look at my life, I'm theoretically operating as multiple people. Um, you have Latte, mm-hmm. you know, like he has an online presence. He's not, I'm sorry to ruin it for all of you out there, he's not <laughs> posting his own photos. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's me. Um, he's not even writing his own captions. Ugh. As a matter of fact, he's unconscious right now. He's not even participating in the podcast. I know I haven't heard him shake or nothing. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you're getting credit on this episode, buddy. <laughs> Ain't done shit. Uh, for anybody who has, we have a lot of new listeners. That's my dog that yeah. I'm talking about. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but as uh, you know, the other entities. Obviously, I operate as random badassery. I also operate as Holy Fool, which is the umbrella, which which that's under. Um, further questions, which is my crime blog, I operate as that. And then there's you know me, actual the real human being here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The stuff that I don't want Google 
cataloging and the stuff that I don't want them putting feeding into their algorithms is my stuff. Yeah. Me. But I realized that the things that I research for this show and for the other stuff that I do, that I'm actually by leaving those out of their algorithms, you know, like them not seeing those searches, mm-hmm. I might actually be doing a detriment in the sense that I, 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 I try to read a lot of intelligent things and I try to search a lot of interesting and challenging things and feeding those into that algorithm and being part of that is an important and good thing to do. So what I've actually done is um, I had these before, but all the entities had their own email addresses, but that also means they all have different Google identities, right? Yeah. So I have Safari on my phone and anytime I'm doing, excuse me, I had to be at least one burp in the episode. I was waiting for it. Anytime I'm doing something for myself, I'm always in Safari, but I also have the Google search app on my phone. And if I'm looking up something for random badassery, it's really easy to switch accounts in the apps. I switch over, switch over to the random badassery account in the Google thing, mm-hmm. and I search as that. So that all the recommendations and everything that come to that thing for random badassery will help me research things for the show. And when I'm doing something for further questions, anytime I'm researching something in true crime, I switch over to that identity in the Google search app. And now when I open that, it's always recommending true crime stuff to me. Right, yeah. So I'm using them to the advantage without having to sacrifice any of my personal privacy. I feel like that's... Go ahead. I was going to say, I just feel like that's the intent, the initial intent for that. It is, except the part where it's gross is when it gets into your personal life. Exactly. So that's where I'm using Apple and Safari and DuckDuckGo to my advantage. When it's about me, you know, if I'm searching something about my medicine or something about food or exercise and health and all that stuff. I'll do it there. You guys don't need to know that stuff. But I will use Google to their advantage when it comes to stuff that will do things that help this show mm-hmm. and the other stuff that I do. Yeah. So Google in my in a public way, <laughs> thumbs up. Stay out of my private shit though. <laughs> <laughs> You're still yeah. I still don't trust that company as far as I can throw it. Nah. All right. If you guys enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, let's start off with, please hit that star in Overcast. You guys have been doing really good with the stars. I can't believe that we are in the top 10 and that we've been there for a little while. Remained. Yeah. Yeah. We've been fluctuating between four and six. That day that we were right next to Tim Ferriss, that was a strange feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow, Tim Ferriss, really? Wow. So please hit a star, share the episode with somebody. That's really important. This conversation, thought, well, carry that thought on to other people. And you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which is the biggest compliment. And of course, you can support this show by becoming a Patreon patron. I hate saying that. Be becoming a patron on Patreon. Yeah, there you go. Or just you can become a patron. By patron. I mix, yeah, I mix the words together. By going to patreon.com forward slash Productions, where you can hear the green room chatter that Tom and I have before every episode, Lam and I have before every episode, the guests and I have before every episode. It's usually about 30 to 45 minutes of the, we focus on topics during the show. But before that, we talk about whatever the hell we want. What did we talk about today? Uh, there was a bit of that. 
politics. Uh, there's a bit of that. Um, I don't know. I guess you just have to guess I'll patronize have to listen and listen. <laughs> find out. <laughs> yeah, you'll find that and more. And of course, you can follow us. Follow Random Badassery. I always say us. Follow Random Badassery on Instagram and Twitter. But if you want to follow Tom... On the old Instagram, it's just Sir Beardo with a period between Sir and Beardo. I'm trying to think of new ways to describe how to type that. <laughs> but yeah, Sir.Beardo. Uh, Are you regretting so, putting that period in there? Not really. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. <laughs> Too late to change it now. And if you guys like dog pictures, you can go to Instagram as well and follow... Latte like the drink, which is my dog. Pictures of him. He's cute. That's the end of the story. Uh, That's all you need to know. If you're into true crime, you can go check out what I mentioned before, which is the blotter, which is my true crime. True crime. Wow. Crime. I think we're nearing the end. True, true crime. Crime blog. That's a holyfoolproductions.com forward slash blotter. And it's also on Twitter and Instagram as further QST. So, um, now that I'm losing the ability to speak, Tom, do you, um, I haven't done this with you before. I used to do this with Lamb all the time. I'm bringing it back. I've been mm. doing it with guests. So, before we say goodbye and play the music, do you have any brief words of wisdom for the audience? I'd say, uh, keep your mind open and it'll help uh, be a better person and, and enhance and enrich your involvement with other human beings unless you don't like involving yourself with other human beings and just lock the door bye bye babies see you